It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. It's another massive edition of the Gagan Pod coming up. Socceroo legend Mark Schwarzer, former Premier League star Michael Bridges and former Matilda Amy Duggan. Join me, your host, Teo Pelizzeri, for this one. We talk about Premier League headlines, a couple of twists in the Champions League, the first El Clasico of the season, lots of Socceroos chat and the Matildas back on the winners list as well. This is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get in to the Gagan Pod. We have a globe-trotting edition of the Gegen Pod this week. Michael Bridges and Mark Schwarzer and Amy Duggan. We find them in different corners of the globe, and we love to start with your best and worst of the weekend. So, Bridgie, you're the one perhaps doing the uh, most uh, luxurious and relaxing travel. Let's start with you. What was your highlight of the weekend? Was football even part of it? Yeah, it certainly was, even though I'm here having a little um, golf expedition with ex-footballers and ex-cricketers, I might as well call it the has-beens, the has-beens event in Portugal, but I don't mind taking part in it. But the highlight was um, St James's Park, Newcastle United with a 5-1 victory, uh, absolutely incredible scenes, the atmosphere was mad, and it was on the you know the uh, anniversary that the takeover had happened from the, the Saudi group, so St James's Park was rocking and it was a huge result, and... It means that in sixth position, so my fourth position finish from the start of the season when everybody laughed at me is still on and it's still a potential outcome for the Geordies. Schwartz, your best moment of the weekend? Uh, well, I have to be. I went to a La Liga match on the weekend. I was hoping to see Abam and Bill uh, make an appearance. Unfortunately, he didn't make it off the bench. Watch Cardiff uh, play against Espanyol at home. It was an entertaining game, 2-2. Quality of the football itself wasn't the best. However... Being in the stadium, watching a game of football, group of mates, um, my brother and my niece was a lot of fun and uh, had a great time in Cardiff City as well before and after the game. So has to has to be the best. Well, for me, it's pretty simple, Tay. You don't even need to ask. It's the Matildas getting a double win. Uh, the win against South Africa and then the win this morning over Denmark. So I'm a smiling lady and I love seeing our team score goals. And we'll stay with you, Amy, then. What was your worst or your not-so-good moment of the weekend? Yeah, I'm going to bring the game back to Australia for this one. Um, Went to the Big Blue uh, at Sydney Football Stadium, or as it's called, Allianz now, the nice new stadium, wonderful atmosphere. Really awesome until the last five minutes when uh, we had the bottle-throwing incident, although... Um, I did love that the goalkeeper picked up the bucket of chips and ate a chip and then threw them back at the crowd. I thought that was quite hilarious. But yeah, just some of the fan behaviour. Not great around the world at the moment. Bridgie, you're not so good? Not so good. Do you know what it is? I really feel for Kevin Muscat and Yokohama Marinos. They needed that win. And the stats, getting beat 2-0, I think it was absolutely tragic. 20% against the opposition in Gamba Osaka that actually won the game 2-0 and Muskie must have just been thinking this is incredible what the hell happened and I was absolutely gutted for him so there you go one from the J-League there you go mine's going to be um, back in the Premier League Bournemouth being Leicester City so for Leicester City more importantly because obviously one of my old clubs getting a great result against Nottingham Forest thinking they were going to go well against Bournemouth going 1-0 ahead and then again capitulating and losing again and gosh the pressure must be mounting severely on Brendan Rodgers right now Well, we stay with the Premier League then, Mark. Great segue into some of our burning issues of the week. And I think we have to start at the top of the league and Arsenal with their win against Liverpool. A couple of big calls went Arsenal's way. Should it have been a handball against Gabriel? Uh, Should Thiago Alcantara's challenge uh, have ended in a penalty, which was the decisive match-winning goal? Mark, what's the, uh, the fallout been like and what were your thoughts on those key decisions? Um, look, I think for Liverpool, of course, whenever the, the results go against you or the calls go against you, of course, any team, not even just Liverpool, anyone, there's always going to be those questions, Marks, and you're always going to feel like you're hard done by. Um, I think uh, you, Liverpool at the moment, obviously, are nowhere near their best. Um, they have struggled since day one, and it seems to, as this season, and obviously it's getting worse with um, 
Luis Diaz going off injured, looking like he may even miss the World Cup. Jurgen Klopp, seven-year seven itch at football clubs, wherever he's been, um, isn't great either. So, I mean, I think it was Dima Hamann come out and said he thinks it's the beginning of the end for Jurgen Klopp, which is an interesting call, considering what he's accomplished at the club. And, of course, Mo Salah, people talking about Mo Salah after signing his new deal, um, is nowhere near as, near as good as he was before. However, his stats are pretty decent still. So um, the, the game itself, um, look, it, I think, I think it's, uh, it can go either way. And I think the referee, it's, I think it's a difficult call either way. I think, I think in the end, um, the VAR, the referee, look, I'm going to go with the referee's decision. I'm, I'm happy enough with it. I thought it was a very entertaining game. So you're saying that Thiago's push was a penalty? No, probably not. No, that was probably the one where I probably thought it wasn't quite a penalty. It was a bit yeah. soft. And I understand why. The, you know, the, the thing is, it's all over the interpretation, isn't it? And then when they check it on VAR, it's always a difficult one. Um, I don't know. I, look, I, I think you see, you see them given and then you see them not given. Um, the problem we always have with it all is the inconsistency. I was just about to say that is the, that's the factor that annoys the hell out of me the penalty decision like I say I'll, I'll go with you I'll, I'm, I'm accepting that one but the the Thiago incident I just thought it was absolutely ludicrous now if that's going to happen and they're going to give it then you've got to see it given for every other one and it, it won't happen and it's the inconsistency of the decisions that is annoying you know the fans and the, the pundits around the world I think that one was so hard because it actually hits his chest first and then bounces into his arm. And, of course, intentional or unnatural, probably not. Um, like, what, the rule is it's an offence, right? If the player touches the ball with their hand or arm when their body is unnaturally bigger, that was the change that came through. So I'd like to see us err on the side of caution here. Like, our defenders have got enough to deal with. And you look at the stats and how many penalties there were and projected penalties there were. This is why the rule was changed, to, to make it even less because otherwise you were going to see the game change where players are actually playing for the handball or trying to, to see that happen. So I think it was tough. I don't think that should have been a um, that should have been a handball. And as far as the challenge worthy of a penalty, you know, again, the defender was on the wrong side. I know there was a touch there, but I think it was soft. And I think Jurgen Klopp agreed with me on that one. <laughs> well, let's stay on Liverpool then because they have uh, injury fallout. Trent Alexander-Arnold, and you mentioned uh, Diaz as well there, Mark. I mean, the seven-year itch for Jurgen Klopp is one factor, but in the immediate short term, is the season a write-off? Do they have to start thinking about what it takes to make the top four rather than try to win the league? Yeah, look, I think first and foremost, yeah, they need to get back to winning ways and, and some consistency under their belt. They've, they've struggled throughout the course of the season so far for consistency. Um, they, other than the the Community Shield, which I thought they they played well against City, and and I actually thought they'd start the season really well, um, but it's obviously been completely the opposite. City have gone on and been going from strength to strength, and 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 Liverpool, on the other hand, have really really struggled for any type of consistency. Of course, the injuries have certainly hindered them, but I don't, you know what? I mean, it's two big injuries. It's not like four or five right and I still think Liverpool are more than capable in the years gone by they've 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 been they've been able to cope with more players out injured so I I um I feel for them a little bit but yeah Jurgen Klopp needs to change something needs to get his group of players performing back to their best again and they're a long way from it at the moment season is a write-off 13 points behind Man City 14 points behind Arsenal like you're talking four matches that Liverpool have got to hope that them teams lose and Liverpool go on to win all the games. It's season not I a had them finishing though. as champions. Season, it's season's not, not a run-off though, is it? For the for the title it is. No, I think I the think top so. four as well. I totally agree with you, Amy. I think they're yeah. done and dusted. I, I don't think so. I just think they should be happy to stay in the top half. Um, and I think even their coach has admitted that now. I'm pretty sure I read that yesterday that he thinks the same thing. I think I'd be less worried about all these penalty challenges and more worried about the lack of tracking back if you take a look at the second goal that Arsenal scored. That was disgraceful, a three-on-three -three situation, and then the players just aren't working. We're not even a third of the way through the season. I, there's no way in the million years I'm writing Liverpool off for a top four. They're, they're, you know, they're only six points off Chelsea, who are in fourth spot right now. So are you writing them off for the title? The title's going to be a push. Yeah, the title, I, I, I don't it's think... It's gone, Sporty. Come I on. I think the title is, is, is potentially gone. But top four, there's still a chance. Absolutely. No, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying title. Top four, absolutely, there's still got a chance. The quality that they've got 
100%. We'll leave Liverpool there because we'll come back to them later when we look ahead to the weekend at hand. Let's talk about Manchester United. Cristiano Ronaldo scores career goal number 700. However, an injury to Anthony Martial is the only reason he was on the field to begin with. So, Amy, as the resident Manchester United fan, does this force Eric Ten Hag's hand to play Cristiano Ronaldo from the start more? And will he get his minutes up as a result? Well, it's a platform to perform. I think he will get his minutes up as a result. Um, His coach said this week that he's sure more goals will be coming and that every player just needs to break through that barrier. This was Cristiano's first goal of the Premier League season. Um, I think you will see more goals from him. With all due respect for everything he's achieved, 700 goals is outstanding, amazing. He, he is ageing and we all know that. And the problem is, is we expect him to still play every time he hits the field like he's in the peak. Um, you are going to get these glimpses of magic from him all the time, but just not like he used to when he was in his peak. But I think the injury is a great reason for him to step up. Um, and, you know, also probably for Rashford too. And I want to see him get more game time. I enjoy watching him. I still think when I see some of the players that have, that have been playing ahead of him and... I just think, how can you do that, you know? He is a phenomenal goal scorer. He's going to get goals. Yes, he doesn't do the press that Ten Hag's after, but he's a goal scorer, and that's what Manchester United needs. But how and can when you, you play pre- him? put him on the end of something, he will score goals. But how can you play him, certainly from the start? I, I, I think absolutely he's an impact player, 100%. He's going to score goals given the right opportunity. But from the start, the way that Ten Hag wants to play, I, I don't know how you start him, because you, you end up playing with only 10 and a half players, right? Because you're not going to get the same kind of impact up front from, from someone like Cristiano Ronaldo for 90 minutes or 60 minutes. Surely if minutes. you're that good a manager, you should be able to come up with some form of solution to accommodate a player of his quality and his capability when I'm you're getting so sure. paid and meant to be one of the best in the business. Yeah, I'm not so sure. So you change your tactics to work around him, Bridget? Well, you'd like to think so if he's that good. If there's people playing and scoring more goals and they're better than him, then he's got to wait on the outer, but they haven't been doing that, have they? So you've got that man sitting there. And I thought it was, I mean, we talked about it a few weeks ago when they were saying he, he didn't want to disrespect by bringing him on um, when they were, you know, four or five down. I, un- I understood that. I did get it. But this was a moment and he got the opportunity. And what did Cristiano Ronaldo do? He went and showed his capabilities. And the other lad was Casemiro. I thought he had a fantastic game in midfield, finally. But, but let's not forget, and Again, right? another player that has proved him wrong. <laughs> but let's not forget, right, up until the Man City game when they got beaten 6-3, right? So Ten Hag, Manchester United had been doing all right. After the Brentford game, the recovery was pretty decent. The the results, run of results were very, very good. They were winning games again without Cristiano Ronaldo in their side. So, okay, was there a standout player scoring the goals? No. But I don't think... I don't think Manchester United can have that over-reliance on that one player. They, they're trying to go away from it like they had it last season. And because of the way that, that Ten Hag wants them to play, they can't afford to have an over-reliance on someone like Cristiano Ronaldo who doesn't fit the style of football that the manager wants the club to play going forward. So yes, you fit him in every now and then, but you, I don't think you change a system for him. Now, speaking of prolific goal scorers, Erling Haaland. Let's talk about his 15th goal in nine games in the league. We talk about a figure like Ronaldo's 700. Messi's getting close to his own 700th club goal. Bridgie... Is Erling Haaland going to score a thousand? I know we've we've had you know Pele and Romario claim to have scored a thousand in their career and, and maybe fudged the numbers a little bit and included training sessions and junior games. But is Erling Haaland actually going to be a one thousand goal scorer over the course of his club career? I would love to think so. As long as he stays injury free, anything is possible with this player. And I just hope I'm alive to witness it. Um, he's just absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> Swartzy likes that one. Well, Swartzy well, hopes I'll be gone by then. Be alive, like okay, what? You don't expect to be alive over the course of the next ten years or something? Well, if I get another twenty years, mate, I'll be happy. So um, there you go. <laughs> he, I don't know. This guy is just phenomenal. And you know, interviewing Alan Shearer last week, asking what his weakness was. He said, you know, that you're speaking to some of the greatest players that have graced the Premier League and people are talking about him just saying there is no weakness and he's playing in the team that is producing goals for him um, at an unbelievable rate. And finally, Manchester City are getting somebody to find the back of the net. So I'd love to think he can, Theo. It's all about if he maintains his fitness levels um, throughout his career. But he's a robot, Bridget. Well, robot. So he doesn't have to worry about Robots can break as well, don't you worry about that. Have you seen the petition that was ongoing? 
Have you seen the petition That's here what in I'm the UK? About. I think there's something like over a half a million, if not three quarters of a million people who have now signed a petition to have uh, Ellen Harlan removed from the Premier League and not allowed to play in the Premier League because he's too good. <laughs> for, for being, being a, a robot. robot there you go I think they want him to get examined don't they yeah. it's man let's let's just hope he does because I think he, he can go on to be probably the, I mean we, we've been blessed to see Ronaldo and Messi compete for so many years Harry Kane is the one I'm fond of this guy oh, I really? absolutely adore are you fond of Harry does. Kane so should we be calling him the kid we should call him the kid like they're the goats and we should call him the kid because he's coming through and he'll probably be the next goat so there we'll you just go give him love it absolutely right love it that's one of your kid. best lines ever amy by the way thanks do you want some stats now <laughs> you brought up harry kane there bridgie and you said that um about harry kane and, and how good he is and you, you obviously fancy him we all know that um the thing is i just read something today about how harry kane is feeling right now looking across at manchester city thinking that could have been me that could be me in that side and sh- could, should have probably been him, you know. And how the flip side of that, Manchester City are looking at Haaland now going, thank God we didn't get Harry possibly. Kane. Possibly, yeah, quite possibly. Look, I mean, uh, Haaland has been absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, remember back of last season and also early this season, my biggest concern with Haaland, I think as with probably a lot of people were, was his injury uh, track record. And, and certainly his last 12 months at Dortmund weren't particularly great in terms of muscular injuries that he suffered. And that was always, for me, the big key. He just looks like he's unbelievably fit, unbelievably strong. And so far... His mental, yeah. his mental game looks, is also... Looks just outstanding, yeah. He's he just all round, like you said, Alan Shearer said the same thing. Who, who are we to, to question that? He doesn't look like he has any weaknesses at this stage. And to answer the other question, what Teo asked about the 1,000 goals, I'm with you, Bridges. If he stays fit, anything is possible with this guy. Um, obviously, it's still a long, long way off. However, the way in which he's scoring goals and the speed of which he's scoring them is pretty, pretty remarkable. Well, that speed comes, you know, we say he's been on fire. He's averaging, what is it, 1.91 goals per match at the moment with a pretty high shooting accuracy percentage. We know that he's efficient. Uh, I think the other interesting point to come out of this is the players around him, like De Bruyne, you know, class, always class. Um, but Phil Foden's shooting accuracy has improved 20% this year too. Is that about, you know, the connection that he's got with Haaland and the, the ball that he's getting from him? Um, yeah, Liverpool's in trouble this weekend. Well, perfect throw ahead to the weekend because there are some vital games in the Premier League. You can see them all live and exclusive on Optus Sport as well. Let's start with the uh, the game that is 2.30am Australian Daylight Time on Monday, Liverpool versus Manchester City. At the beginning of the campaign, we all thought this would have been an early indicator of a title decider. Obviously, Liverpool's form means that they are in a lot of trouble and they're defending means that Erling Haaland looms large. Bridgie, what's your feel on this game? Not just who's going to win and why, but what sort of scoreline do you think we might be in for? And is it going to be the goal fest that Manchester City's form, at least until this morning's Champions League game, would have indicated that it could be? Whatever the whatever the result is, there is going to be goals, no doubt about it. Um, I do believe the form that City are in, they're untouchable, but you just never know with Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool what's going to happen. But there will be goals, and I'm hoping it's an absolute thrill, like a 4-3 or a 5-4, either way. Um, it's just going to be fantastic to watch as a neutral. But when you look at the, like you say, the 13 points difference in the league, can Liverpool really put up a performance? I, th- I, ho- I hope they can, but I just think defensively this season, they've looked in disarray. The midfield's not, not helping out the mid uh, defenders like they used to. Everybody seems to be piling forward. I think I watched Jamie Carragher talking about the difference between the defensive midfield units not helping the, the back two when the fullbacks bomb on. And I just think people have really worked out what to do with them, and especially when you try and target Trent Alexander-Arnold, who looked like a rabbit in the headlights and didn't even realise that Arsenal had scored a goal after 59 minutes the other day. He was looking around when Martinelli ran past him going, what the hell has just happened? So he's going to get targeted if he plays, and I just think City will have the upper hand in the final third. He's in. I think he obviously came off injured in that game, and maybe they'll be without some of their serial offenders in defence this weekend, and maybe that'll be a good thing. <laughs> Um, I think the only thing that that Liverpool has for them is their reputation uh, and Klopp and that maybe they'll be able to flick a switch somewhere. But Klopp's record at Anfield is a good one. His record against Pep is actually really good, but City will definitely go in favourites for this one. Also, the media attention, the fact that people are pointing fingers now at Liverpool and players and um, ex-teammates, countrymen, Van Dijk's been criticised left, right and centre. 
Um, obviously, Alexander-Arnold, but then the injury uh, may may keep him out of the game, so it's not going to be that big a, big a problem for him this weekend. Mo Salah, nowhere near that top form. form. Um, Darwin Nunes scoring, probably a positive for him, for a bit of confidence again. Um, yeah, I, look, I, you, I, I agree. You can't run off Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool. Um, and they're at home. And they're at home. You'd expect a reaction. The cop, obviously, the, the Anfield's going to be right up for it. But it's hard to see Manchester City being stopped. Now, before this game, at midnight, we've got Goal Rush uh, on a Monday morning. Normally, it's uh, Saturday into Sunday. This time, it's Sunday into Monday. Gee, it's a good Goal Rush. Leeds versus Arsenal, Villa versus Chelsea. But the game I want to ask you about, Manchester United against Newcastle United. Mark Schwarzer, Newcastle United, they are putting together a great run of form. They hammered Brentford 5-1. The January transfer window looms as an opportunity to bolster their ranks. If they win a game like this at Old Trafford against Manchester United, could we see more signings strategic in the January window as they make a run at the top four? Well, that's the key word you just used there, strategic. And and one would find that difficult to believe that one would use that word regarding Newcastle United, certainly over the last <laughs> five years. When have they been strategic in any shape or form? Um, and I think that's what's impressed me the most about since the change of ownership, that they haven't just gone around and splashed, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds and wasted money like we saw probably the early days when Manchester City first kind of came into this wealth. Um, yeah, very strategic and could well do, you know. I, look, I think I think that will be the case. If Newcastle continue to progress like they have, if... I, I, don't, I wouldn't put it past them getting a result at Old Trafford. Uh, I wouldn't put it past them winning the game at Old Trafford. Um, I think they'll be on course anyway come January of some strategic investment in the team. Newcastle's only won at the Theatre of Dreams once in the Premier League. Can I just different remind Newcastle. you of that? Different, man- different, different Manchester um, United as well, <laughs> I'm by the way. On to it. I'm holding on to it, mate. I'm, I'm holding yes. on to it. All right, so Amy's, Amy's leaning on history. Bridgie, uh, do you think... Newcastle will win at Old Trafford and continue their top four charge. I am taking away all of my northeast heritage off my shoulders here. There you go. Newcastle are going to smash them. Newcastle are going to smash them. There you go, Amy. No, I think it's, them. No. There's, there's every opportunity. This is a perfect opportunity to put that history behind them and show what Newcastle are all about. And like Swartie was he's a saying there, come January, what I love Newcastle are strategically now. They've, they've started to buy players outside of their 20-mile radius, which was... Um, getting local talent in and they didn't have the funds to go and buy people outside of that area you've seen now with uh, Garan Kowal coming over they've signed a lad from West West Ham and Tottenham and they're basically breaking their trend now to go and get the best young talent and I know coming from the academy there's pros and cons to it Um, but basically when you're given free license to go and be able to do what the likes of Manchester City and Chelsea are doing now and numerous clubs around Europe to go and get the best talent not just around Europe now they're saying go and get them from around the world that's huge for me and that is only going to impact the the top end of the football club so they're going in the right way and the word is strategically doing it correctly. One more Premier League topic before we move on, and that is the sack race, which has just eased eased on the brakes this week, uh, very much so in the case of Nottingham Forest. Mark, how surprised were you when you heard that Steve Cooper had been given a contract extension rather than uh, his papers? Yeah, a little bit surprised, only because you kind of get sucked into the media and the perception that's being portrayed about he has to be on the verge, the contract offer that was put forward to him a couple of months ago, was withdrawn supposedly according to the media. Um, I mean, I did hear there was a meeting called and the manager was summoned to the the office and there was the worst fear. That's what I heard that was going on around around Nottingham. Um, And instead of uh, Steve Cooper being relieved of his duty, he was given a new contract. I think it's great. I I honestly do. I mean, it's, it's a big call. Um, but I think it's really good, I think, because Steve Cooper's done an amazing job at Nottingham Forest since he's arrived at the club. Yes, this start of the season hasn't been great, but, I mean, one hell of a job he's got on his hands. 21, 22 new players to try and find a combination that's going to work. Um, the, the the problem you've got is, I suppose, is that for the owner and the money that they've invested, they need to stay up. It's not even a case of if we don't stay up, we'll come straight back again. I, I just think... They probably need to stay up, otherwise a lot of those players might need to be moved on. Yeah, I think it was so refreshing though to see 
a man under pressure actually have somebody show faith in a manager that got them there and they're doing something. I thought it was so refreshing and I think it gives the whole club stability now and an understanding that the players know where they're going. Yeah, but you know what it is? I, I reckon as well. It's a new deal, but the owner's got all the cards. So he's probably got a clause yeah. in the contract. There's a new deal and you're going to get two, three months sell, uh, like a pay up if I sack you. So yeah, yeah, but you probably are at Swartzy. I don't think it matters how long a deal he's given him because I think I think the severance pay is going to be whatever it's going to be three months, six months severance pay, and if he if he changes his mind next week, two weeks later. But that's all hearsay. We're talking about that's hearsay. We don't yeah, know, know that that I know. could be fluff, but it could be realistic. But, the fact is, they've come out and made a statement to give a guy a new yeah, contract, but, and I just think it is absolutely awesome. Yeah, and signing and signing the extension certainly put pay to a lot of those rumours and will calm down some of the pressure for now. I agree with that too. What about um, Ralph Hassan-Hoodle over at Southampton? Because let, let's talk about him because he seems to escape this conversation. Brendan Rodgers and the Foxes are 19th and getting smashed, understandably, by an amazing team last weekend in Manchester United. But um, we give Brendan Rodgers heaps, but we don't really talk about Ralph um, Hassan Hoodle at Southampton. They're 16th. He's flying under the radar, doesn't he? I know. Nine games, 16th, only two wins and a draw. And, you know, they four lost, losses in as a I row. said, they lost to Manchester and that was their fourth in a row. So Yeah, but I think it's expectations, right? So Leicester have, have a different expectation. What goes on at Southampton? No, no, but I think there's an expectation at the club itself, right? So I, I think for Leicester City, with the squad of players that they have, the expectation is to be in the top you know, top six, top seven clubs in the country. I don't think the expectation of Southampton is anything other than stay in the league. I, I think I think there's a case of just keep us in the league year after year. We try and build on something. However, the main thing is we stay in every year. I, I don't see it beyond that. With the squad of players they have, the turnover of players, they're a selling club. They've done it year after year after year. So I just think it's more about of expectation within that club. Southampton are my new Burnley. <laughs> I don't like watching them. I will shut the curtains if they're in my no, garden. No, no, no. I think that's a bit harsh. I think that's very harsh, Bridgie. There's been some breaking news while we've been recording. Fabrizio Romano has reported that Julian Lopetegui has turned down the chance to be Wolves' boss. So they continue to roll with an interim manager. Gary O'Neill is actually winning. He's he's picking, picking up points as Bournemouth interim manager. And the latest reports are that Sean Dyche might be taking the West Brom job in the championship after Steve Bruce got given the heave-ho. So, Mark, um, what do you make of uh, Julian Lopetegui sacked by Sevilla but saying no thanks to Wolves? And it leaves two of the 20 teams currently rolling with an interim for multiple weeks in a row. Well, it works for Bournemouth, like you said. Um, Gary Neal, look, I played with Gary at Middlesbrough, obviously a long time ago, but never in a million years did I ever see him as a manager. And got to take a hat off to him. Done so far an amazing job at Bournemouth. Um, Lapoteki turning Wolves down. I don't know. I, I think it's probably if you think about if you think about the history of Lapoteki over the last couple of years since 2018 in the World Cup, got sacked what two days before their opening game, Spain's opening game, and then within a short period because he was obviously offered the Real Madrid job, went straight into that lost his job after about three months and then very shortly after that was at Seville. So he's had no time off, no time to to get his head right. I think obviously he was tremendously successful at at, uh, Sevilla and it was a bit of a surprise how quickly they got rid of him. Um, So it it doesn't surprise me that he wants a bit of a break and I think think he will want to stay probably in Spain. I don't think he wants to leave Spain. I think Wolves fans will be celebrating they didn't get him. You reckon? Why is that? I just... uh, how can you go from having that such a bad start to a season in yeah, Liga, and then there's talk that you're going to get a manager? Yeah, but look what he's Premier done League. though. Look what he's done at Sevilla the last three years. He's been absolutely outstanding. I couldn't care. I want to see what he's done recently, and he's been absolutely. Yeah, but you were talking ten games in, Bridgie. You, like it's like you're riding off Liverpool, and you now you're riding off a manager that's <laughs> that's had like three years of unbelievable success, punched above his weight, has dominated the Europa League, winning it. I don't know was it two out of the three times, and because the first ten games of the season they've had a bit of a stinker, you're going, he's not good enough to manage Wolves. Come on, you're not representing him as an agent, are you? No, but but, look, <laughs> but just look at the facts. Look at the facts, Bridgie. Yeah, I've seen his last 10 games. I'll be delighted if Wolves, oh as, as a Wolves fan. 
Well, let's uh, let's stay with Sevilla and move on to talking about the Champions League and also what it means for some of the La Liga clubs as well. Sevilla actually got a draw against Dortmund. They led in Germany, but it ended up 1-1. The news not so good for Ange Postacoglu's Celtic. Two goals midway through the second half. Timo Werner and then uh, Emil Forsberg seeing Celtic not mathematically eliminated, but in a huge amount of trouble. And then the result I want to start with, uh, Mark, is Manchester City's nil-all draw against Copenhagen because we heard from Thomas Sorensen last week about the amazing situation with Camille Grabara, the Polish goalkeeper, running a public media campaign against Matty Ryan to get his gloves back as the starting goalkeeper for Copenhagen. Well, he saved a penalty and kept a clean sheet against Manchester City, and this is after keeping his starting spot in the Danish league over the weekend. Take us inside the, uh, the goalkeeper's union here, Mark. What an extraordinary situation, and what must Matty Ryan be thinking at the moment as Grabara is the hero for Copenhagen this morning? Um, yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's a tough one. It really is because I think you'd be looking at Matty thinking, obviously the very change of manager, the assistant manager has taken over. Grabara's come back; he was cleared to be fit, and then he straight away found himself in the starting lineup. And then he had a like obviously rates himself very highly, and believe that you know he's far and above the number one goalkeeper. Um, I've played with one or two goalkeepers like that in the past that talk a great game. But so far, obviously, today he backed it up. But I don't think he necessarily had backed it up before that. Um, it's never easy. It's never easy because, you, you know, you've got to work really close with each other. So it's always tough when that relationship potentially is not the best. I mean, I don't, let's not... Like, we don't know um, what that relationship is like. But certainly coming out publicly and stating how much he thinks he's better than... than then Matty is is a is one that's going to be quite a an interesting uh, and I think uh, you could probably cut the atmosphere with a knife um, at that training sessions. Um, so yeah, I feel for him. It's, it's a tough situation to be in. Is this something that you may not necessarily encounter at a Premier League level, where everyone is well paid and there's a, a certain expectation of professionalism? Whereas outside a top five league, maybe it's that bit more cutthroat. Everyone's trying to push on to the next level. No. Uh, why? Why do you think? Is it purely Grabara's personality, or are there other factors which may have contributed here to why it's there's been so much animus, at least on Grabara's part, towards our soccer is number one? I think it's more about threat, right? So Matty's come in and played well. Grabara's obviously come back from injury. He probably knows that the 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 new manager has his has, has him as as, as number one, uh, or get, at least has given him the opportunity to stake his claim as re, or regaining number one position. And therefore, he's also laid down a marker and maybe trying to intimidate, trying to upset Matty, trying to throw him off his game. And the the, prob, the problem for Grabara is then he puts a lot of pressure on himself to perform. Um, obviously, tonight it worked for him. Um, but moving forward, so it, it's. I, I'm not saying it doesn't happen in the Premier League because it does. I've been in situations before at clubs where I know, I know, like almost without having the evidence, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm like 90% sure that you know I've had other goalkeepers go go behind your back, go up to the manager, complain that they should be, they think they should be playing, um, and even going beyond the manager to to demand that they play. So it, it happens. It happens all over the time, all over the place, and not it's not just. Uh, outside of the top flights. It definitely happens within the top flights as well. How worried should Matty Ryan be about his starting spot in the World Cup? I mean, obviously not playing is a blow, but do we take it as read that he'll still be starting ahead of Mitch Langerak uh, at the World Cup, even though Langerak is now back in the fold? Well, is, is Mitch even number two? We, we saw the last two games against New Zealand and, and Mitch didn't even get a start. So, which completely blew me aside i mean i i i don't know how that's even possible um but you know obviously the the coaching staff um john crawley uh graham arnold had their reasons for 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 not playing mitch um so yeah look for maddie i spoke to him not long, you know a couple of weeks ago and he was just delighted to be back playing week in week out playing champions league football um found it really tough at sociedad not playing and now he's in a similar situation again whereby seemingly the manager now obviously fancies uh, the, the previous number one he's going to find it difficult to get in the side maybe has to wait for an injury maybe a, a domestic cup which is going to be really tough and then, obviously, we've seen it in the past with Matty where he hasn't played regularly, that he still plays as number one for the Socceroos. So Matty's not let the Socceroos down. So it really depends on how Graham Arnold approaches it and how he feels is the right way moving forward. And like I said, Matty's never let the Socceroos down. So um, Mitch didn't play the last friendlies, which are the last friendlies before the World Cup. So I 
don't think it's likely that Mitch will play come the World Cup, which um, is quite strange for me to say that right now because I still think, along with Matty, he's definitely up there with the, the two top best goalkeepers in the, in the country. We will talk about more Australians overseas later in the pod, but let's uh, stay on the Champions League results. Bridgie, uh, how disappointed should Celtic be that their journey has just about come to an end? They'll now have to fight tooth and nail. They'll be grateful that Real Madrid scored a late equaliser against Shakhtar Donetsk because it means finishing third in the group and going to the Europa League is still very much alive for them. But uh, they'll be disappointed, the fact that you know they, they rattled the woodwork a couple of times in the first half when the game was still nil-nil, but they miss out. They miss out here, and it means that Leipzig is beating them home and away. Yeah, and it was it was interesting having a chat with Ange Postacoglu a few weeks back, um, just after they played the Real Madrid game. He was saying, you know, Bridgie, at the at the top in the elite level, it's it's the fine margins that define games, and the fact that McGregor hit the post, he had chances against Real Madrid, they didn't capitalise, and then at some point, you know, the better teams are going to be clinical, and and they were, and I think that is what has cost Celtic going forward. Um, I love the belief that Ange has given. Celtic once again domestically and for them to go and have a crack in Europe and he's challenged himself but he hasn't gone away from what he believes in he still wants to play the attractive attacking football and at times uh, you see when you're coming up against the best in the world that have, have, have know how to break these teams down and have got world class players at their disposal there is a fine there was a, a huge gap and Celtic find the way I believe that they've still got that opportunity like you say to go for that European spot finish third so there's still a, a challenge there for Ange which he's always wanting he'll be trying to get the best out of his players for that um, but the reality is when you see Rangers and Celtic in these competitions they're still a long long away from being one of the top teams in the Champions League but Ange is I think he's still been successful to get them there and have a crack against these teams and he should be still um, held in high regard. And I think that's been the impressive thing about their performances, although they haven't got the results, is that they have actually been able to create moments where they could have changed the result and they have, for most of the games, competed uh, right up there at the level for at least 60 minutes. And I I'd actually just think this is about extending that complete performance for the whole 90 for them. Um, a lot of the goals have come later in their games. Um, but you're right, they haven't parked the bus or done anything like that. They've gone out there, they've played their attacking brand of football and they've been able to compete fairly well for at least an hour. Just needs to happen for longer. And Bridgie, from an England point of view, Chelsea win away to Milan. Fikayo Tomori gets sent off, gives away the penalty and leaves Milan uh, absolutely up against it. As far as his World Cup hopes, these two Champions League games couldn't have gone much worse. Do you think he's stamped his papers for Gareth Southgate? I mean, the English media do not watch Serie A week in, week out. And it seems as though if you're going to have two high-profile blunders, these last two games have, have surely cost him his spot on the plane to Qatar. I would say so, but I think it was done and dusted before that because if we haven't seen him, especially with the form that Maguire had been in, um, John Stones did his hamstring in the last match as well. I think we would have there would have been some talk, and I, I, I think it's disrespectful because I, I've really enjoyed watching tomorrow. And the other one is Smallland's been doing an unbelievable job at Roma as well, scoring goals, doing very well, but they've just been absolutely bypassed. So I, I wouldn't. I'm not going to hold it against Gareth Southgate, um, as because of not, not right, right now. now. And just wait till the World he's Cup got, he's got it a goes plan. pear yes. shape. Then you'll be going. Then I will the go in sporty for your mate. That's when I'll be coming out and having a go. But until it, yeah, we've we've I've got to back him and got to believe in what he what he's trying to do. Um, and I, I do feel that tomorrow he's actually he, he's he's, he's finalised his World Cup dreams and they're over. Gareth's gone a bit away. He's gone away from. If you're playing well for your club week in, week out, you're going to get a chance. And he's gone away from it. He's stuck with players. To loyalty within the national team rather than... That's right. Which, there's an element of loyalty have to be. You have to have an element Could be his downfall. But I think... No, but no, no, I'm saying an element. But I think it's gone for too long now. I, I find it really bizarre. How can you pick someone like Harry Maguire that has been so far off the pace not playing week in, week out for Manchester United, but it's been a million miles off the pace, but you're still going to probably pick him. I find that really bizarre. Like you said, Tamori's been outstanding in Milan, as has Chris Smalling for Roma. Why are these guys not giving get given an opportunity? There was chances to give them opportunities to see whether or not they are going to slot in, whether they're going to, just as an option, as an added so option So you've been inside you. national camp, as Amy has, right? The two of you's. The when you're seeing players perform like they are, and you're seeing other squad members come in that haven't been performing, do you as people 
smell that and think, why are they not getting an opportunity? Does that does that? I think you're working hard to not let them in. Firstly, Bridgie, that that's your first instinct as a player is knowing that there's pressure on you to to up your own performance. That's the first marker. And yeah, you never want to open the gate for for someone to come through. But if you take your hat off from the coaching from the coaching perspective. I think there comes a time when you can't just rely on the the old trusted if it's not giving you what you need and you have to throw the, use those opportunities to throw something new in there and, and have a look at, at, at what they're capable of. But I think also you're mad not to give them a chance anyway, even if the, 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 the tried and tested are doing well because all you need is that those injuries. So obviously, like you mentioned there, you know, if, if, if you've got one or two injuries leading up to the World Cup and players are going to struggle to make it or play enough games leading up to the World Cup, you need you need a greater squad. You need a bigger squad. And you might find um, that, that Gareth may still be going looking to bring in someone like Chris Smalling, someone like uh, Tamori uh, at last minute without even having played an, a, a game in the national team for some, for some time. Now, I mentioned Real Madrid drawing. Barcelona, they face a must-win against Inter, which will be played on Thursday morning, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. Before we uh, finish on the continental football, first El Clasico of the season comes up this weekend, live and exclusive on Optus Sport, of course. one fifteen Australian Daylight Time on Monday from the Santiago Bernabeu, Real Madrid against Barcelona. Around the panel, who wins and why? I know Barcelona's still got to play Inter, so we've still got one more game for them this week. But who's going to win El Clasico this weekend? I think if Benzema plays, Real will win. That's where I'm going. I think there's some super matchups all over the park, some comparisons to make. I know, uh, you know, in the middle, up front, the whole lot. But um, I just think, yeah, that's where I'm going. If Benzema plays, I think Real will win. I'm taking Pedri and Lewandowski to get one over Real Madrid. I've enjoyed watching them. They've been scoring a lot more goals than Real Madrid. I really fancy them going into this one. No, I'm going Real Madrid. Home home advantage. Um, Barca have been hot and cold a little bit this season still. Um, but I think there's going to be goals because Lewandowski can't stop scoring again, as always. Like well, Not even again, as always. Can I just say, though, how blessed are we this weekend, though, getting La Liga and in the, with the El Clasico? In Man City, Liverpool, and and I'll be there. The, I'll be there in our Classico. I'm there. Oh, you've always, you've always got to go one better, haven't you? Yeah, you can't keep your nose out. <laughs> Stay with us here on the Gegen Pod. We'll talk about a bit of women's football and also the Aussies overseas. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Gagan Pod. This week we've got Mark Schwarzer, Michael Bridges and Amy Duggan in the lineup. Let's now talk about a bit of women's football. Amy, it was your highlight of the week. The Matildas, two wins from two. They beat South Africa 4-1 and they come from behind to beat Denmark 3-1. Now, you might remember when the squad was named two weeks ago, Amy. I normally oh, don't give my this opinion on this podcast. Talk, isn't it? Here it comes. Here it I comes. normally don't give my opinion, but I'm actually going to throw to the audio from two <laughs> weeks ago. 180 minutes of Alex Chidiak. That's all I ask. Nothing more. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I should start with the shorts down to the knees. Yeah, if, if the team wants to solve their problems, the answer's right there. And as we hear that, gee, it was a, just a succinct little opinion. Uh, all I said was if they want to solve their problems, the solution oh, is right there. Yeah, Amy, right. The how, good, how good were the I'm Matildas? I'm going to leave Chidiac's conversation for just a minute and I'll leave the, the Chidiac cheerleader conversation for you. But uh, she was good this morning and obviously helped in the goal that Gori scored and we'll talk about that in a 
second. Uh, I think the result over South Africa was expected. Um, I would have actually liked to see more second half goals. I'm a hard taskmaster, I know, but um, great, uh, you know, great performance all around for the full 90. Um, the tempo was really good. The intensity was great. The the team owned the game, which you know for Australia is really important. Rather than playing down to the level or up to the level of a team, we want to be in control. So that was awesome. Denmark this morning. Well, the start wasn't the start we expected. Denmark put one away super quickly in like the 40th second, and I thought, oh my gosh, are the girls on today or are they not on today? But they they did control it. They dominated possession. They controlled the game. They were patient in the builder. They created some magical moments. And when that breakthrough came, um, it was wonderful. So Caitlin Ford on the score share, an absolute smashing goal from Katrina Gorey, which I will say was probably 50% uh, Chidiak getting the ball and winning it back and giving her that space to to do that. She's very busy out there and works very hard, Chidi's. But, um, and then obviously to finish it off with another goal and be comprehensive. And then what I thought was interesting in, in the last, you know, 10 or 15 minutes of this game, um, again, first point, Sam Kerr not on the score sheet. So that can either be a blessing or, or a curse for Australia. And we can talk about that if you want. But they actually changed formation in the last part of the game to a five back to, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing, because I haven't really had a chance to talk to anyone, but to, to close the game out. So change formation, play a completely different way, slow the ball down um, and own the game. So protect the lead, I guess. Two players who did star in this window, Caitlin Ford and Steph Cantley. And we, we see the WSL and we see these players play amazingly in the WSL and then they come to the Matildas and the whole hasn't been greater than the sum of its parts, Amy. So... Is it the fact that the WSL is back in season? Why is it that the team appears, I mean, very carefully, don't want to push the barrow out too far because Sweden's next, mm-hmm. but they appear to be turning They appear to be turning the corner? I think it's just time together, um, time together and uninjured. That's a good one. Like Steph seems to be back at full fitness and it was awesome to see her up and down the flanks and being the provider of wonderful quality crosses during this short window. I hope that continues. Caitlin Ford's always amazing it's about getting her in the right position with the ball she's i think we undervalue how much she can actually provide to this team sometimes and sometimes you know the ball goes to sam instead of her so i think um it's been good to share it around a little bit courtney vine played amazing in both games her time on the pitch you just can't beat her speed and a lot of these players too are growing in confidence like charlie grant is no ellie and i and i accept that and there's a you know there's an age difference as well but Charlie did an amazing job, you know, filling in and has done filling in at right back um, since Ellie's been injured. And she too, just with the time and the games and experience, is just growing and growing and growing. And um, and Cooney Cross today, gosh, listen to me. They're all amazing. Um, Cooney Cross was, was outstanding in the midfield today. And again, those driving runs showing confidence. Mark, I'll, I'll ask this question to you. I mean, Amy uses the term filling in when it comes to Grant replacing Ellie Carpenter, fair enough. But with a player like Akira Cooney-Cross or Alex Chidiak in particular, I mean, we didn't have Tamika Yallop or Emily Van Egmond in this camp. Chloe Legazzo's only just come back. How important is it that we don't simply bow down to who's got more caps, who's more senior in the team, who's a bigger name, and actually get a bit more competitive tension? Because it's not just about Alex Chidiak's ability, which is why I've ad- advocated for her. It's because I see the opportunity for a midfield that functions better with her in it. How difficult is it to actually manage the expectations of players that going back to the Matildas is home for them? It's, it's where they have played the majority of their football. They've only ever been at clubs for so long, multiple clubs per year. How difficult is it to try and unseat establishments and, and sort of household names? Um, it, it can be very tough. I mean, look, I think the game's changed a lot uh, in terms of I've always, always of the opinion that you don't just hand out caps for the sake of handing out caps. You hand them out because people deserve it and people um, um, you know, have worked really, really hard and, and, and have that opportunity to play. Um, the game has changed because the numbers of games we play domestically plus internationally, so you need more experienced players. You need players on the fringes to have played more more international caps. You need to have more options. Um, so you're asking possibly the wrong person because I was always one that said I want to play every single game and I don't want to give anyone else an opportunity because it goes back to that old mentality that if somebody comes in and plays really, really well, then there's out of that pressure that you may not get back in again, right? 
Yeah, but you can't win a World Cup or a Euros or a tournament now with 11 players, Schwartz. You, you've got to have depth and you've got to have yes. a squad that you can rotate through those quick turnarounds. Um, and we've also got to keep in mind the next generation. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because you don't want to have that sudden drop-off when four, five, six players retire at one time. I absolutely agree with you. That's 100% correct. But as a player, knowing what I was like and knowing being in that position, it's really tough. You, you, you shouldn't be given the player that option because I was often given the option and I always said to the manager, you ever ask me, there's only ever one answer. I want to play. Yeah. So don't ask, if you don't want to play me, don't ask me, you tell me. So it's, it's, I think that's the approach as well. And you're right, you, you do need a bigger squad and you want to give players on the fringes, players that are doing well for their clubs, not just when I say players on the fringes, I'm talking about players that haven't played a lot of caps doing well for their clubs and deserve to be where they are, deserve to have these caps, these games, to gain that invaluable uh, experience. Um, we, we all know, look, Ellie Campeter is, is a massive player for the Matildas and she's out injured and, and who knows whether she'll be fit enough to play at the World Cup or not. Who knows? So you've got to make sure that if the worst case scenario she's not, you have the best possible solution. Not, not necessarily a player that's going to play the same way because I don't think anyone is out there to play the same way as Ellie Carpenter, but you need to find alternative players to play in those positions. I think speaking to a friend of mine who's followed the Matildas a lot over the years, he said that Caitlin Ford would actually be a good shout to play at left back because she's played that in the past and she's she very, her career very quick. as a back uh, at, on the international stage exactly. and won Rookie of the Year at a World Cup doing that. Like Absolutely. This is the, the, there are some really versatile players on this squad. We've seen Hayley Rasso play back there. We've seen Tamika Yallett play back there. Sticking with uh, the Australians in the WSL, it returns this week. Uh, Chelsea are away at Everton, and that leads me to ask about Sam Kerr, Amy, because by the time we record next week, the Ballon d'Or vote will have been held. Is this Sam's year, or will she be beaten to the game's biggest individual prize? What else does she have to do to win? I, I like... I hope she's not beaten. I think she did enough during the season. Well, she, she's done enough during the last four seasons to be nominated every single year. And I know I've mentioned before, it's just her and Wendy Renard that have been nominated every year and not been able to um, to win. But I, I think if it's not this year, when is it going to be? Because she's not bagging the goals early in the season like she did last year. Uh, she's golden boot winner, player of the season, all these different awards. She's on the front Surely of the FIFA stage, game. That should get it hands down anyway. And this is the thing. And, and, and I think we just need to remember who votes on this award and is that what yeah. is actually the problem here? Bridgie, uh, I'm sure you're well aware that Premier League players in the men's Ballon d'Or just very, very rarely win the award. Michael Owen won it as an Englishman. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo won it at Manchester United. But Thierry Henry never won it. He, he got pipped at the post. Is there an anti-English bias? Could it infiltrate the voting for the women's Ballon d'Or, because Beth Mead is probably the most natural competitor to Sam Kerr. Maybe Alexandra Pop could win it purely off the back of the Euros. Maybe Alexia Pateas could win it purely off the back of name recognition, even though she missed the Euros. But do you think players at English clubs are at a natural disadvantage in these essentially popularity contests? Why, why should they be? It's, it's one of the biggest and best leagues in the world, so I don't... It, I don't understand how they haven't won it more in the past. But when you've got people like Messi and Ronaldo playing, like you were saying, Ronaldo did it at Manchester United. These two have been over in La Liga. They've been competing and challenging each other. There was there was literally no competition. However, now Ben Benzema has been unbelievable. Uh, Lewandowski yet again has had a, an incredible season. Um, at Bayern, well, he's, he's taken that when, trade. When he did rule the roost, they decided not to give an award because uh, it wasn't going to go to one the of the thing. two regulars. That's the biggest one for me. You can talk about, is it an English player in the league or, in it, or somebody that is playing in the Premier League? When Lewandowski didn't win it, I was kind of like, well, whoever makes these decisions, I'm, I'm over it and it doesn't really bother us anymore because uh, sometimes they just they come up with things. So I don't know who's going to get it um, this year. And I, to be honest with you, Theo, I'm going to be horrible here. I don't really care because I just like watching players that I like to watch and I know in my mind who are you know the, my top four or five that I would give it to but sometimes the decisions are just bewildering well I can promise you that we will be debating it next week because the award ceremony will have been heard uh, held on the morning that we record uh, Amy I just wanted to ask one more we had some World Cup qualifiers this morning and some very important friendlies Portugal will go to the intercontinental playoff after beating Iceland the Republic of Ireland beats Scotland to qualify for the World Cup and Switzerland 
Switzerland broke Welsh hearts. They were about to go to a penalty shootout, only for Switzerland to score right at the end of the 120 minutes. So we know a couple more qualifiers. But arguably the biggest story, Amy, is Spain 2 USA nil. We spoke about Spain a couple of weeks ago when their team was in open revolt. What on earth has happened with the Spanish national team? Or perhaps more to the point, the USA, it's not often they go into an international break and they lose both games, but they were beaten by England and now they've been beaten by Spain. So what is going on with the Stars and Stripes? Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing one. And the, uh, the crowds and uh, the chorus is growing louder for some coaching changes over in the US. It, it's... It's a crazy situation to think that America went 21 games, hadn't lost, uh, number one in the world, uh, and then go and lose to England, and then worse to a to a and I don't want to call them a B grade Spain, but a young Spain. Um, obviously, the Spanish national team players kicked up a, a stink a few weeks ago, refused to play, so they're without 15 of their top players. And they've come out this morning or overnight. Most people would have thought America should have won this 2-0. America were horrible from, from what I'm understanding of the short pieces I've watched, but also the commentary around the game. Um, just couldn't get it together in the midfield. Uh, Spain have scored one either side of half time and taken the game. So um, a lot of people will be perplexed by that result, but it'll also raise a lot of eyebrows and ask a lot of questions. I think the best thing about this is, is Anyone in this like top 10, top 12, top 14 kind of nations around the world at the moment are throwing up topsy-turvy results all over the place. The game is going through evolution so fast it's hard to keep up with and it just makes it super exciting along with um, these massive crowds that it's drawing. Well, we're on the home stretch now on the Gegen Pod, and we're going to talk about Aussie football and Aussies overseas. We've talked about our Matildas having a win. Let's talk about some of the Socceroos' connections. Mark Schwarzer, we haven't had you on the Gegen Pod since Garen Quoll was unveiled as a Newcastle United signing. And very interestingly, he's now been called up to the young Socceroos, the under-20s, meaning he will miss three A-League games. Is this a devastating blow for his World Cup chances or does the fact that he's being uh, taken away by a youth national team mean that he's actually in line to get picked for the Senior World Cup and they don't need to see A-League form? What was your interpretation of Garen Quoll being taken out of the A-League and not getting the chance to play against men as he tries to prove himself for a World Cup spot? Um, I, I think it's probably... Look, I, I think at the moment he's, a, he's an outside chance for the World Cup squad and that's why he's probably being given... The manager, Graham Arnold, I'm assuming, saying, "Look, play, take him to the to the under 20s, um, see how he does. If he's cut, you know, if, if he's head head and shoulders above the rest, then there's every chance that he that he'll get a look in potentially, or at least be on a training squad with the national team. Um, look, it, I, I think for for the national team, the under 20s is it's a massive plus having him there, and it's great that they're still playing a player of that cult, sort of quality and that caliber, and a player that's obviously going to move on to to greater things shortly." Um, involved with the under-20s national team because we want them to do well as well. Bridgie, do you interpret this as Qual being on the back burner for the Men's World Cup or a sign that maybe uh, they don't need him to play against A-League opponents in order to get picked? I would hope it would be the latter to say that he doesn't need to play against the A-League teams. That he's already gone and he's part of the, the plan to be a good plan B. We, you know, if we saw what he was capable of doing in, against Barcelona in that All-Stars game, he's, he's, he's caught the eye numerous occasions in the A-League. And I'm just hoping that it is, um, it's not going to go against him because I think he can come on and be a massive, massive impact player and surprise a lot of nations and, and showcase his talent around the world from, from the bench. And if he does secure his spot um, and comes on, then so be it. I'd love to think that that was the case. Now, one youngster who is in the A-League and is hard up against it is Marco Tilio. I'm going to read you a post-match quote from his coach, Patrick Kisnorbo at Melbourne City after he was asked why Tilio was not a starter and was left on the bench. Here's the quote. I go on my feel and players that have done well in preseason and I just thought Naboot deserved to play. Just because Marco got picked for the Socceroos doesn't mean anyone's an automatic starter. You need to work hard to get into the team and he got his chance today. I was happy for him when he came on. I picked the best 11 and I think that going into a game. Just because you represent Australia doesn't mean you're an automatic starter in this team. My question, Mark Schwarzer, is... Why did Marco Tilio go back to Melbourne City if he wanted to make the World Cup squad? Um, yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Look, we don't know what goes on day in, day out, right? For Melbourne City, you don't know what Paddy Kosnobo is seeing, what he feels as the manager. Um, he's obviously got to, he's got to be 
his his biggest concern is his squad of players, right? And what happens with Melbourne City this season. So he wants to try and pick the best players that he feels, uh, like he said there, he feels feels the right shape of mind, physical shape, and are ready to go out there and perform for him. Maybe he felt that Tilia wasn't quite in the right frame of mind, maybe. Maybe he felt that he came back for the national team and maybe was, uh, you know, took his foot off the pedal a little bit. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm only guessing. So it's a manager for me. What, what I'm reading, what Paddy's saying there is it's a kick up the bum for him to say, make sure you get your head back in the, into the right place. You've got to work hard. You've got to roll your sleeves up and there's no guarantees just because you may have had a little bit of success, maybe a little bit of recognition. When you come back here, you need to perform and that means training field as well as any opportunity you get to play on the field. That's how I read it. And I read it that he's made a statement to also show he's come out to say that. Obviously, we like you say, we're, we're speculating. Something must have gone on. And he's also setting a presence for the other players to read that, to know that if you're going to do whatever, you're not guaranteed football. You've got to work hard to get into this team. So I agree with their sports. About time. Mm. It's oh. a tough scene for Tilio. They're, they're all running out of games. Other players... Jamie McLaren scored, Nick D'Agostino scored, Craig Goodwin had an assist, Daniel Arzani played okay in a nil-all draw, and Jason Cummings got his game rained off uh, as the Central Coast Mariners' match against Newcastle was postponed. Mark, we haven't spoken to you since the two-game series against New Zealand. Of those A-League-based prospects, uh, is there anyone in particular that you like? Would you take Jason Cummings to the World Cup? Can Daniel Arzani still make a very late run? Or do you think that uh, they're coming from a bit too far back? Look, I think Cummings is an interesting one because he, he's something different. You know, he's, he's a little bit different to what we've got. Um, he's shown some bottle, get up, take a penalty. He's got that little bit of a swagger. And I think that's important as well. Um, oh, I I I like the little bits I've seen of him so far, and I and I think he's someone that I think could do something potentially, certainly in the squad. Could can definitely be another plan plan C maybe if need be. Daniel Azani, uh, look, I, I think when they're in a lot of possession, if MacArthur's in a lot of possession, they dominate games like they did against say Sydney United. They get opportunities. He's going to be dangerous in those one-on-one positions, attacking final third um, against the better teams. That's when you want to see him step up. And there's still time for him to do that. And of course, you know, he's behind the eight ball a little bit. Um, but we've seen in the past uh, that Daniel Azani has talent, has ability. Um, but I don't think we've seen it enough. And that's that's the biggest concern. Um, let's hope we do because, uh, look, I want to see... Dan- Daniel Lozani hit his full potential because if he does, he'll be an outstanding player. He'll be an unbelievable player for the national team. But I think we're quite a way off that yet. And speaking of players with great potential, uh, Tom Rogic, he, not just potential, established class. When we spoke about uh, Steve Bruce getting sacked by West Brom earlier in the pod, it was in the context of this might take Sean Dyche off the market. But let's speak about it in the context of Tom Rogic and his club opportunities. It's another Aussie who gets a manager sacked, and obviously the manager that's brought him in won't be there anymore. Is Tom Rogic going to be the sort of player that uh, can keep his spot in the team, Mark, uh, given that the West Brom move was a little bit eyebrow-raising? But do you think he'll keep getting championship football in the countdown to the World Cup and the big decision on if Graham Arnold is able to bring him back? I if someone, I got no doubt Tom Rogic is good enough to play in the championship at West Brom, so I got no doubt that... He will keep his place in the team. Um, and if he doesn't keep it immediately, uh, I think he'll be in it pretty quickly because I think his, his quality is is, is uh, too great to, to leave him out of the side. So I'm not too concerned on that in that regard. If the, somebody, if the manager's going to use him and the ball doesn't bypass him with the long balls, so, you know, I think he'll be actually delighted that um, Steve has gone and hopefully he can get somebody in that'll try and get Tom on the ball and use his qualities where he can, he can break down defences and, and be that special player to unlock doors. Well, Mark, thank you for your contribution to the Gegen Pod today. Safe travels and we'll catch up with you in a couple of weeks. Thank you very much. Amy Duggan, thanks for joining us. You'll have a smile on your dial all the way through until the international break in November, I imagine. So enjoy your day and the next couple of months. Thank you, Taylor, and I hope that that smile continues throughout November. And Michael Bridges, we will let you get back to your holiday. Thank you for sparing an hour or so for us. Enjoy whatever is to come.
I'm going to go and lose plenty of golf balls on the golf course. Thank you very much. <laughs> Stay safe. See you in the next one. A big thank you to Mark Schwarzer, Amy Duggan and Michael Bridges. The Premier League continues at 6am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Saturday morning as Brentford host Brighton. And then the early kickoff on Saturday night at 10.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time is Leicester City against Crystal Palace. We've got an amazing goal rush kicking off at midnight on Monday Australian Eastern Daylight Time with Manchester United against Newcastle. Leeds United against Arsenal and Aston Villa against Chelsea. And then the big one finishes the weekend, 2.30am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Monday, Liverpool against Manchester City. La Liga starts the weekend with Rio Vallecano against Getafe at 6am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Saturday. And don't miss Athletic Bilbao against Atletico Madrid at 6am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Sunday, then the big one, El Clasico, 1.15am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Monday, Real Madrid against Barcelona from the Santiago Bernabeu. The WSL returns from the women's international break with Aston Villa playing West Ham from 10.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Saturday and don't miss Sam Kerr's Chelsea. They play 11pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Sunday and that kicks off an overnight of Manchester City versus Leicester City, Tottenham Hotspur versus Liverpool and Reading versus Arsenal Sunday into Monday. And the J-League continues as well, depending on when you're listening to the podcast. Kevin Muskets, Yokohama F. Marinos, host Jubilo Iwata tonight, Wednesday, 9pm, Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Make sure you check it all out live and on demand on the Optus Sport app and website. And a reminder to all listeners that the Gegen Pod drops each Wednesday. Rate us five stars wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe as well. I've been your host, Teo Pelizzeri. This was the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Gegen Pod.